This episode of the 343 podcast is supported by Bounce Athletics. Bounce Athletics is offering you an additional 10% discount because they know that you are serious about high-quality soccer products if you are listening to this show. Training balls from Bounce Athletics can be customized with your logo and your color scheme and will only cost you about $15 to $20 per ball. And if you compare similar textured training balls from Nike, Adidas, or Select, those would be in the $50 to $60 range. Now, I've personally tested the balls from Bounce Athletics. They feel great. They look great. They roll great. They hold air, which is super important. They are legit, and I highly recommend them. To top everything off, Bounce Athletics will send you complimentary mock-ups of what your balls will look like with your logo on them. Just email your logo to info at Bounce Athletics to begin the order process. And remember to mention 343 so you get that additional 10% discount when you place your order. This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Arch Bell is the U.S. correspondent for Marca.com, and he is also a contributor for ESPN FC and CONCACAF.com. I like bringing people like Arch on the show because they provide a look inside of the life of American soccer media. But Arch's story isn't like any other that I am aware of. After growing up in Texas, Arch decided to venture out and see what was happening on the other side of the world. He ended up in Madrid, Spain the mecca of global soccer. After being in Madrid, Spain, he spent a decade in the tech startup world and eventually threw in the towel when he found his calling as a white American guy writing about soccer in Spanish. Now, he describes his story more elegantly during this interview, but I think that little piece of information and the way that I said it sets the table appropriately. Arch is one of the few that gives serious topics the serious attention that they deserve. And how he got to the position of doing that is a very, very interesting story. So I hope that you enjoy listening to Arch tell that story. But for example, Arch reached out to 343 co-founder Gary Kleiben in 2017 regarding a story about promotion relegation in American soccer. And Gary was quoted in the article saying promotion relegation facilitates economic mobility and social along with political and cultural expression at the highest levels of American football. Everything is homogenized. There is no cultural diversity in the positions of influence. There is no competition of ideas End quote. I've linked to that article in the write-up of this podcast, and you can find that at 343coaching.com. And you can also find links to connect with Arch on social media. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a funny story. Uh, Arch tells it much better than I do. Uh, and, and it was just fun to get on the phone with, with him and, and talk this out. We've been talking about it for quite a while. So I'm glad that we were finally able to record this, but his thoughts about football are worth listening to and worth reading. So I hope that you guys decide to look up and, and just, and see what he's been up to for the last few years when it comes to writing about American soccer and writing about global soccer as well. Uh, like I said, you can find that uh, the links to that on 343coaching.com. And if you like this episode, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with other coaches, parents, players, or fans. You will hear Arts tell the story about how he shares some of the message when he's out on the soccer field, when he's watching his kids play. Um, 
if you uh, if you want, you can also subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Play, or wherever you listen to it. I'm sure that there's a subscribe button there, and I'm sure there's a way that you can give the show a rating or a comment on it. That also helps uh, other people find it. But if you really want to support the 343 podcast, the best way to do that is by joining the 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program. And what you get in return when you sign up for that is the absolute best coaching program designed by a proven practitioner. And that practitioner is not me, but I vouch for this program because what I have learned from it has completely changed the way that I coach. My teams before were good, but they were winning with that typical American physical boot ball style. And as a coach, I hated, I loved winning, but I hated the way that the teams played. So uh, I started to search around for coaching education and when I found 343 and I started studying 343, my teams started winning with a more elegant, beautiful Spanish possession style of soccer, and I loved it. And I have been a member of the 343 program since it launched. And 343 has taught me so much about possession-based soccer. And I can honestly say that it has been the best investment of time and money that I've made when it comes to coaching education. When you sign up, for the 343 Premium Coaching Membership, you get instant access to videos of real games and real trainings that help you learn how to coach possession-based soccer. You also get 24-7 online access to eBooks, audio lessons, recorded classroom presentations, on-field clinics, and you also get access to these member-only forums for networking and sharing ideas with other 343 coaches. And those things, ladies and gentlemen, are an absolute gold mine. So uh, that's, those are worth the price of admission just in themselves. Uh, you get all of that for just $295, which is an incredible deal and a fraction of the price when you compare that to other coaching education courses that are out there. For more information about all the benefits and all the details about the program, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right. That's it. I hope that you are ready for this episode of the 343 podcast with Archbell. John, how are you? Doing good, man. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. It's good to good to visit with you. Yeah, man. I know we uh, we tried to do this a while back, and it, I think uh, I was flaky. I, f- I think I fell through. So I'm glad to finally, you know, cross this off the bucket list for for my interviews. No, no sweat. You've been uh, you've been doing a great job with all with all those. They're all like really good, you know, diverse listens, and and uh, that's a really cool thing. And that's an interesting point that you make because part of the reason why I wanted to interview you was about you know, incorporating a, another diverse voice into this, uh, this cast of people that have been on, on the podcast. And, and what initially has jumped out to me about your work is that, you know, very few, I think, I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but very few people write for, or very few Americans write for Marca. And, and that's what initially got my attention about you. Yeah, that's, I mean, as, as, far as I know, I'm the only U.S. person or American person who does. Um, you know, every once in a while, you'll have somebody who will, you know, contribute something here from the U.S., but um, I'm basically, like, their, their person here in, uh, here in the U.S., and, um, and it's fun. It's, it's, a, it's, a great, uh, it's a great gig to have. Tell me a little bit about 
who you are and, and what you do and and then we'll we'll kind of go from there with uh with uh how you how you cover the sport a little bit differently than everybody else sure yeah so um i uh i basically work with um with three outlets you could say so as i mentioned i'm the u.s correspondent for uh for marca uh which is a spanish publication based out of madrid um it's recently expanded in the last couple of years it formed a content partnership with claro sports so there's a marca claro mexico marca claro colombia and marca claro um, argentina so all of those i I contribute to as well and um also do some stuff for espn fc um just kind of in a, in a freelance uh capacity and just every once in a while i do a, a weekly thing for them um and then every once in a while we'll write on mls or, or the u.s national team or or something within Concacaf about uh for espn and then I, I do a lot of stuff for the Concacaf website concacaf.com um a lot of the content that you see on concacaf.com is comes from my fingertips. So, uh, you know, that's, that's something I enjoy greatly just because I get a really good sense of everything that's going on in the region. And when I mean everything, I'm talking like Anguilla, British Virgin Islands, (laughs) 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 like like all 41 CONCACAF representatives. I've, I've got a pretty good hold on, um, on, on how they're doing at the, at this exact moment. So, uh, but that's been good. That's been, that's really given me a really good perspective to, to bring to my writing. Um, and, and this is soccer writing is something I've been doing you know, basically for like the last 10 years. Um, I made a career change. I was working like so many people here in Austin, Texas, where I live, I was working in software and then just started kind of doing some soccer writing on the side. Uh, got a, got a break uh was introduced to some people at espn and did some a couple articles for them and and then eventually in 2012 i was able to make a, a full-time transition to uh to, to writing about soccer and, and able to do it for a living and um none of this happens without the the encouragement and support of of my wife um so before anything if there's anybody who deserves credit uh for me being able to do what i do it's 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 my wife who um she's the one with the good stable job and that doesn't have to really worry about anything so uh yes. so i'm very i'm very fortunate and very blessed in that regard and um yeah it's just it's 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 a it's a really cool thing i get to do and and the fact that i'm writing both in english and spanish which uh i think is pretty unique and um i think that's uh it's it's something that i uh, that i enjoy doing so tell me about the the Spanish aspect because if I'm if I'm putting on my judgmental hat, you don't you don't sound like you have any. There's not even a hint of a Spanish accent. In the way <laughs> you talk. No, no, not at all. I mean, I am gringo as they come. Uh, but um, I was growing up in West Texas. I grew up in a little town called Midland, Texas, and playing soccer a lot. Being, I guess, two things: playing soccer growing up and being Catholic you're around a lot of Hispanics. And so uh, Spanish was always, you know, it was always around me. It was always there. I took it in school. And it was really when um, I got into uh, to college, I had a chance to study abroad for a couple semesters in Spain. And, you know, learning Spanish and then also being able to just, you know, go knee deep into Spanish football was, was amazing. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like two passions of mine were, were married uh, when I got a chance to do that, uh, my wife is Argentine. She was actually she was born here in the U.S. and then 
um, and then grew up in Argentina until she was about seven and then moved back here to the U S with her parents. But, uh, the famous line that I kind of, when I met her the first, the very first night that I met her, I reeled her in. I asked her, she told me uh, her parents were Argentine. I said, well, are they Boca or river? And that was kind of the start of that because I think I was the first ever like, you know, white boy to actually like know the difference between Boca and river and who those two teams were. <laughs> what was her answer? Um, well, this was the best part. She said, my mother is River and my father is Boca, which, ex- which explains why my in-laws pretty much yelled at each other for the entire 40 years of their marriage until my father-in-law's death 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I can't, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Uh, yeah, it, was, it, was, it made for a, a very interesting visit to the in-laws, let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what attracted you to Spain when you decided to study abroad? Well, I was, I studied Spanish in college. It was always my best subject. And, um, my, and my professors where I went to school, I went to Furman university in Greenville, South Carolina. And they said, you know, if you're going to do this, you really need to do, um, the study abroad program. And yeah, just, and then that's where the program was set up was in Madrid. And I mean, total blind luck that when I got there, I was, gosh, maybe like a 20-minute walk to the Bernabeu. And then my host father was this die-in-the-wool Atletico fan. So, you know, being in Spain, I mean, I know on your podcast and, and, you know, the the 343 community and and the pro-rail community, we're always talking about culture and everything. And I really got a great taste of, like, being in that footballing culture where – you know, if you're in Madrid and you walk into a bar, you can always talk about football. There's always a, a copy of Marca or Diario As on, in the bar that you can read. And there's always, you know, if a game is on, it's going to sure as hell be on the television in the bar. And when you experience that, when you're immersed in that, it's uh, it's intoxicating. And um, that's what uh, that was really just a, a really eye opening experience for me to be able to 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 be in Madrid and be in a culture like that where football is just, is just inhaled and it's always been with me since then. Really. It's interesting to think about, like you said, um, you know, you grew up playing soccer in, in Midland, Texas, and you're mm-hmm. around that, that Hispanic culture that is really a soccer first culture. And then you go to Madrid, which is not only a soccer first culture, but it's a soccer crazy culture. Yes. So, so you're coming from a background where it's like, you know, yeah, soccer is my thing. Like you probably thought you're like you were a soccer guy. So what, what, what did it initially feel like when you, when you, you know, you land in Madrid and you're like, wow, like I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah, I think it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was kind of jarring, right? I mean, I, I, I'm 42 years old, so I kind of come from that generation of Americans who grew up in a, a kind of a soccer wasteland, a soccer professional, professional soccer wasteland in that I was too young. I don't remember the old NASL, the Pelé NASL. And by the time MLS started, I was 20 years old. So when I was growing up and playing, I mean, what, there was no, hardly any soccer on television. I, there was Mexican league soccer, which I would watch. And then of course, the World Cup every four years. And that was kind of, that was pretty much it. Um, and so, you know, you're fairly limited in, in your knowledge about, you know, who is, is who and, and who the teams are. And 
the Dallas Morning News, I remember we used to get it as a kid and I'd see, you know, you would see the table and the results of like the Premier League and the Bundesliga and La Liga and they would put that in there. But that was like pretty much my only exposure. So to go from pretty much nothing to all of a sudden being where it's everywhere was just amazing. And and I think like maybe the one name or two that I knew when I arrived to Spain was Stoichkov from the, the great Bulgaria side in the 94 World Cup. Otherwise, you know, really wasn't too familiar with too many of the big names. And then all of a sudden, you know, Ronaldo has his monster season at Barcelona in 96, 97. And, and you discover who Raul is and Fernando Hierro and, and, you know, all these, all these great Spanish players, Gaisca Mendieta, you know, the, the great Spanish players and the great players who were in La Liga at that time. And I was, I was just entranced by it. And it was, it was a huge change, but it was, it was so wonderful to be always around the game and, and to have people to talk to about football because a lot of times I remember trying to watch Euro 96 and with friends from college and they would just, they would just rag on me. I said, Oh, this is such a dumb sport, blah, blah, blah. And I was a kid that I loved watching the 1986 world cup, you know, Maradona and then the 1990 world cup. And it almost felt like a secret. Like I was like the only one It felt like watching these games. And then to finally be somewhere where everybody else was watching it. It was great to be a part of that. Did you start to, see the game any differently watching it watching it in Spain and watching these you know incredibly high level players so did you start to see or understand the game a little bit differently and and if yeah so, yeah what, what were what were some of the major differences you can remember well I I, th- I I think absolutely yeah because when I was when I was over there you know growing up I would watch it and you could kind of understand the tactics but when you're sitting there and you're watching the game with with Spaniards who've been you know, they, they, they're very in tuned into the game and then, you know, understanding more the tactics and, and, you know, possession based football. And, you know, this is the team that looks more likely to score and why, I mean, you really start to get a much better grasp when you have people explaining, well, this is why this coach, you know, uses this tactic. And, and there was a lot of listening and there was also a lot of reading, you know, reading, publications like Marca, like Don Ballon, which, which was another one. And all the while, while I was doing this, it was improving my Spanish. And that was another plus as well. Like I was, I was, you know, the more you could talk about football, the more you're practicing your Spanish and that's great. Um, but I really did start to see the, the game differently. I could appreciate the nuances of, of the game more, the tactical adjustments made by coaches. Uh, you could see why, you know, the importance of, you know, when uh, like some, a player like Ivan de la Pena for Barcelona in that time, you know, what what he was able to do in setting the table. So, you know, somebody like Ronaldo could could score his goals. Those are the intricacies that were uh, that were, you know, that I learned and that were explained to me. And, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I just uh, tweeted out last night that one of the best taxi rides I've ever had was in Barcelona following El Clasico. And, and the taxi driver spoke no English. I, I speak virtually no Spanish. <laughs> and we talked for like 10 or 15 minutes. We talked the entire ride. And, and I feel like I left the car understanding every single word that he said. And it was just yeah. like a, a passionate, fiery conversation. And he was a Madrid supporter. I was obviously there to, to watch Barcelona. And um, yeah, just, but just, you know, the conversation, the conversations just happening about the game and about the sport there just blew me away. And I was only there for, you know, seven days. Um, 
and it just it made me uh, jealous. I don't know if jealous is the right word, but it's like you come home and like you can't, you can't even get any like a badass goal in the top ten on Sports Center. <laughs> no, that's that's true. That's true. I mean, I remember being horribly depressed when I got home, and I mean, this was 1997, and I mean, there's watching La Liga on the television. I remember I like I had to wait like a day or two to find out the the score of a Clásico and it was just killing me and and nobody cared. <laughs> yep. And that's that was um and and that was difficult. I think at that moment I want to say like ESPN was showing live Champions League but and then you could maybe get some Premier League and, and maybe some other stuff but you know certainly there wasn't any La Liga on television and um and so yeah like there was there was uh yeah, I I think for for something like that it was jealous because when every time I would go back to Spain after that and visit friends that I made, I mean the first thing I would do is just like I'd buy up all the magazines and newspapers that I could just because I, I missed it so much. I'm I'm curious what you did during your time where you were in software. You mentioned that you were in software. Yeah. Um, what what did you do during that time that kept you connected to the game and kept you connected to writing about about the game? Because I find it kind of like a stretch to think that you went from you know being totally immersed in the, in the sport to just you know kind of throwing it aside for ten years while you pursue a career in software and then jumping back into it head first ten years later. Yeah. So it was. Um, I would say. That was around 1999, and if you remember, that was the the dot com boom. And boy, it was sure easy to to become a millionaire in that time. And and I think a lot of people in their early to mid twenties thought, you know, you could go, you could get into high tech, you could get into software, and you could make gobs of money. And that was the allure there. I mean, I I will I will be the first one to admit that, you know, I was chasing the almighty dollar and. You know, you do that for after you do that for a certain while, you know, you kind of really start to 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 get to grow disillusioned. And and, you know, eventually you kind of sit there in a desk behind a desk and, you know, you're you're supposed to make cold calls or you know, you're trying to close deals, software deals. And and you're really thinking to yourself, you know, am I happy? You know, meanwhile, you've got. You know, maybe a game streaming on your computer when you shouldn't be <laughs> like a Champions League game, like streaming on your computer, which you're way more interested in. And I think after a while, it's just like this is not what I want to do. And this is not what I want my my life to, to become. And um, and yeah, so it was, you know, it, I was still staying connected to the sport a lot of watching, a lot of, uh, a lot of reading online. Um, you know, it helps my, my brother-in-law, my Argentine brother-in-law, who's just, I mean, he's, he's crazy about the game. So every time we get together, that's all we do is talk about football. So, um, uh, you know, I was staying, I was basically staying connected like any other fan. And finally I just, I, you know, I made the decision, like, I'm going to, you know, am I going to sit here and feel sorry for myself or I'm going to you know start doing something about it. And, I, I always liked writing. I always knew I could do it. And I just, I just, yeah, I just decided to, to start doing it. Did you make the conscious decision to, to approach? Well, let me figure out how to ask this. I'm terrible at asking questions, by the way. I don't know how people. No, you're not. Show. No, you're not. You do a good job. I've heard plenty of your podcasts. You do a good job. How did you decide to write in Spanish? I think that, um, I was, 
it was one of those things like how can I how can I differentiate myself? How can I present myself as somebody who's coming from a uh, a different perspective, a unique perspective. And I'd done enough writing in Spanish in college through just like term papers and stuff like that, where like, I know I can do this. And I've read enough publications to think, I, I think I can do this. <laughs> there were certainly some bumps and bruises along the way. Um, but I really felt like if I could, if I could be somebody who could write in Spanish and, give you know those spanish speakers here playing in the u.s a voice um you know somebody who could interview interview a player like an argentine a colombian a mexican player here in mls and and then be able to write about that and talk about that person i think that would be i could really differentiate myself make myself uh you know different than any other you know english only speaking writer um here in the u.s and so that was really my my focus like here's here's like my niche. Here's my, here's my strength. Here's my asset. And I'm going to try to leverage this as much as possible. And, uh, I was lucky enough to be able to, to, to get that opportunity with, with Marika in 2012 and pretty much just ran with it since. And, and, you know, there are some bumps and bruises along the way. I mean, I'm writing in a language that is not my, my native tongue and, and that can be really difficult sometimes. Um, and I make errors, I make mistakes. And there are times when that happens and sometimes it gets published. And then I get a lot of, uh, I don't want to say like hate tweets, but then I get told I'm really stupid and I need to learn Spanish on Twitter. And, and that's, that's uh, when that happens, that's, that's a good little reality check. Like, okay, you got to double down and focus and, and really think about what you're writing here. Um, but I just, it, it, it's also a reminder that I have to read as much as I'm writing all the time, I have to read twice as much so I'm able to communicate intelligently when I'm writing in Spanish. How did the opportunity with Marca present itself? Was it a relationship that you had cultivated while you were in Spain or was it, you know, you referring back to what you were reading while you were there? How, how did that come about? It was, it came about, I mean, largely kind of a coincidence. I had, um, I had traveled to Spain to go do, uh, a freelance article for ESPN FC on Giuseppe Rossi. So I managed to get an interview with Giuseppe Rossi when he was at Villarreal. And as part of the piece, I needed a supporting quote or a comment. So I reached out to um, a writer at Marca who, you know, I just kind of been exchanging messages with on Twitter and, and on email. And we had a chance to, to meet up in Madrid, talked, actually, you know, ended up just hanging out for a few hours and, that was in 2011, May of 2011. And then it was right around a year later where he reached out to me and he said, Hey, we're Marca wants to expand its coverage and more into the Americas. Uh, would you be interested in, you know, doing some stuff, you know, doing some coverage on MLS, uh, there in the U S and it was like, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, it was really that relationship that, that was cultivated. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, extremely fortunate that I was able to, uh, to get that. Okay, so this this brings up another another interesting question for me. I, I didn't realize this. So ESPN was ESPN FC was first. Yeah, so I guess I going back to the very very genesis, I guess you could say I um, I wrote for a site called um, called Yanks Abroad, which covers American players playing in Europe. So that was basically like the first site that I I wrote for, and I mean it was all 
free articles. Like I wasn't getting paid or anything. It was something that I was doing on the side, but instantly I, I liked it. And I knew this is something that I wanted to pursue. And, you know, you start interviewing players, you start talking to players. Uh, and, you know, that's the type of thing like, gosh, I really like this. And, and so after about two years of doing that, I knew I wanted to, to, to further that along. Like, well, you know, I wonder if there might be an opportunity with, with, uh, with an outlet like ESPN and uh, Jeff Carlisle, who's a friend of mine, you know, I met him during the MLS all-star game in Houston in 2010. And he was kind enough to say, yeah, I'd be happy to introduce you to the editors at ESPN FC. And, and that's eventually what led to a couple of freelance opportunities. And then, um, I actually then worked as an editor for ESPN FC for about four years, kind of like a part-time associate editor. So I, I got both the editing side and the writing side. So I was, I was writing for Marca while also doing some editing for ESPN FC. So I was kind of living in both worlds as a writer and editor there for a while. That's super cool, man. Um, I, just before I called you, I was actually on the phone with Dr. Joe Machnick and mm -hmm. the way that he described his career is he kind of had to like, smash three different aspects of soccer into into one in order to to make a living and it and it kind of that's kind of how i i look at freelance writing or a lot of american soccer media members is that you know the guys that really want to make it and girls too um, people that really want to make it you know you have to kind of piece things together and, mm -hmm. if you, and if you do it the right way, you can definitely make a, a living. Not, not nothing, you know, spectacular. I don't think outside of a few people, but um, but but having that approach and, and and being willing to to subject yourself to kind of I don't want to say a, a volatile environment, but just not definitely not a stable <laughs> uh, uh, type of environment. It, it's it, it takes a, a certain type of person, man. So I, I don't I don't you know I talk enough shit about the media people that you know I, I need to give them some type of credit every now and again that that takes that takes a lot of a lot of work and a lot of guts and a lot of uh just a lot of uh belief in yourself to to go that path i you know and, and you know i'll say this don't ever don't ever apologize you know for for questioning media or for taking media to task i think i think that's a that's a good thing and that's a healthy thing and you know to be frank like it was comments that came from from you, from from Gary, that really, you know, that the the the, the pro rail community that really opened my eyes to a lot of things and really made me take a step back and examine, okay, well, what what's really happening with with U.S. soccer and what's happening with the game in this country and 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 because. I mean, you got you got y'all are in, in the weeds. I mean, you know, these are the you know refing coaching you know working with these these young kids in these clubs and when you when you're able to when you see and read about those frustrations maybe it comes across initially as abrasive but um it's 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 important though it's hugely important and that's what i really learned was like you know these are guys who are just who are devoting their lives this is this is their life you know they're they're they're, they're coaching like this is their their livelihood and they're not happy and they see a lot of issues and they feel like, you know, the system's broken and, and, you know, why are they feeling like this? You know, why is this happening? And I think, you know, for myself as a journalist, that's been, that's been a hugely important thing. You know, it, it's been, I think, pretty influential and it's not all, you know, rainbows and unicorns and lollipops and everything's happy. You know, it's, it's far from it. It's, you know, the quite opposite. There are a lot of people, 
you know, like, you know, somebody like Chris Kessel, right. You know, who tried to run for, for VP, even it's just completely marginalized. Uh, you know, that type of, of person, you know, needs to, it has a lot to say and has, and has given a lot to the sport in this country and is not being heard uh, as much as he should be. And it's, you know, it's like guys like you who like, yeah, take the media to task. That's, that's a good thing because we all have something to learn. We all just don't, you know, media in this country don't just reach a certain point and then it's and then like, you know, we're experts. You know, that's, that's, that's not the case at all. Hey, sit tight. We are going to hear a quick message from our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. As a part-time DOC, I had a budget and, you know, we needed training gear every year and it just was getting more and more difficult to find decent, high quality, affordable training balls. That's Zach. He's the co-founder of Bounce Athletics. And as a coach, he was having a hard time finding quality soccer balls at an affordable price. So he started searching for ways to solve that problem for himself and for others. We've been able to experiment with a lot of different textured materials and construction methods. And, and I think we've really got it dialed in to, to where now, you know, with, with our training balls, we're providing super high level training balls that have all the modern technology in them for a fraction of the price of global brands. Zach and Bounce Athletics are offering 343 members and listeners 10% off orders of those custom premium soccer balls that he was just talking about. Email info at bounceathletics.com to start the order process and be sure to mention 343 to receive your 10% discount. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, I appreciate you encouraging me <laughs> yeah do it man do it um yeah it, it's um it's a reason why i, I actually reached out to mike waitala of soccer mm-hmm. america and i interviewed him and, and again it's a reason why i interview you too it's, it, it's just that you guys give a voice to the people that are like you said are, are marginalized and mm-hmm. a lot of times the way that i view the mainstream American soccer media is it's people that are so incredibly out of touch with what is actually happening. And, and I pick on Grant wall a lot. And the reason, and the reason being is, is, you know, his history is, uh, you know, a basketball uh, wanted to be a basketball writer and, and things like that. No, no real soccer history, you know, personal history with him. And, and so that's, you know, it, it, he, he makes himself an easy target um, for lack of better terms, but you know, to not have that time in the trenches or in the weeds and then to be covering the sport the way that he covers it and, and the tone that he kind of covers it, it really irks me. And, mm-hmm. and and then you get somebody like Mike or like yourself that, you know, has that, that soccer background, that soccer history. And so, you know, in, in the process of interviewing Mike, you find out he was a college player, you know, he, he at one point played in a college or actually sat the bench in a college game and then immediately, you know, changed out of his jersey and then into a suit and then went yeah. and interviewed the opposing coach, which happened to be Ziggy Schmidt. Like, yeah, that was a great story. That was a great story. Yeah. And and then you find out that even even to this day, he's he's still working in, in you know, his community programs like that's yeah. that's the type of person that. I respect and that I want to hear from and that I want to read about. And, and it makes sense when you look at his body of work and and the subjects that he decided to cover because he understands what, what is, what is meaningful. He, he's, he doesn't care about, you know, the, the transfer rumors or the, you know, the weekend scores or things like that. Like he, he's interested in more pressing issues. And and Uh so 
that's what really attracts me to, to a lot of the work and, uh, or, or to, to people's work. And, and to, to be honest, it's what attracted me to yours too, because you decided to at one point reach out to Gary and, and, you know, cover a story that just wasn't being covered. Like no, like it, that angle was not being covered. And so I was like, Oh, like, you know, this is interesting to me. So that, that's what ultimately put you on, on my radar. And I don't, how long ago was that? Like three years ago, four years ago? I don't know if it was that long. I'd say maybe like, maybe like a year. Well, no, like year and a half. Well, maybe two no, years ago, year was, and a half, two years ago. So, yeah. or was it longer than that? I oh, think gosh. so, man. We'd have to, I'll have to go back and look it up. <laughs> oh, well. But yeah, that's, that's, you know, a, that different perspective is what, you know, I, I gravitated to and, and then come to find out it's like, you're, you're doing it from a different perspective on many different levels. Like you're a white guy covering stuff in Spanish and, and, uh-huh. and, you know, writing for a publication that, you know, as an American, you're writing for something that's, that's produced in Spain and, and all kinds of different stuff. So that's super interesting to me. And, and, and then just having, you know, now that knowledge of you, immersing yourself totally in that culture and, and what that did for your, the way that you saw the game. That's all, it's all super fascinating to me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, like I said, I'm lucky and, and I think, you know, it's, it's just, you know, we're, we're just all, we're continuing to evolve. Like I think, I mean, it wasn't only, it was just like two or three years ago when I started doing just a little bit of NBA coverage on the side for Marca. And even that totally different sport, but that still brought, like, I think, a good perspective to covering soccer when you're when you cover the NBA. Like when you, you know, you you said you don't ask good questions, which I disagree with. But when you get in front of somebody like Greg Popovich, you sure as hell better know how to ask a good question. And I'd say since I started working in the NBA, the manner in which I ask questions, I think, has improved. So. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we're always learning, you know, we're always, we're always evolving, um, as, as we you know continue on this journey. And so I've been, you know, in that regard, I, I've been lucky. And then also the CONCACAF stuff, I'm learning about other countries and what they're doing and how they're maximizing their resources and, and how, you know, you're starting to see like other, other areas around us, you know, they're gonna, there's some, there's some countries here in this region in this CONCACAF region that, you know, they have an open system and, and, you know, they're now starting to spend money and the U S better watch out because there are some countries that are really hungry to become big players in the region. And, you know, learning that, you know, getting that perspective, learning about those countries is, um, is, 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 is refreshing. This is a question I'm always interested to ask uh, people from the media. Uh, how, how do you decide what you cover? So I'm pretty lucky in the sense that with Marca, I pretty much got carte blanche. So I can, I think the expectation is that, you know, I cover, uh, you know, the, the Hispanic players playing in MLS or I cover the most, you know, some interesting stories, but I'm really, I'm free to, to cover something that is, you know, within the, you know, something I guess you could say is interesting. So like, Promotion and relegation, I can I can cover that. I can I can write about. I did this one story, which was a lot of fun back in the fall. There are four guys playing for San Martín de Tucumán, which is like a small small club in Argentina Argentina's first division. There are four guys who are all former former MLS players playing on this small team in Argentina. You know that to me is a fascinating story, and so I wrote about that. Uh, so, but it's really up to me as to what 
I want to cover. I, I do a lot of corresponding with the, the Marco Clado Mexico guys in Mexico city. And they'll ask me like, Hey, you know, write about, you know, the big thing now is Efren Alvarez. They can't get enough Efren Alvarez content to content to, 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 to satisfy him. Um, so he's, he's very much the word on everybody's lips down there. But, um, it is, it is nice that I kind of, I, I can, I can reach out to whichever team to set up an interview with whoever I want. And very rarely, maybe I'd say four to five times a year where I'll get a message from Madrid saying, Hey, can you do this? Otherwise it's, it's pretty much up to, up to, uh, to what I want to do and what I want to talk about. And, um, you know, I'd say I'm, I'm pretty lucky with, from the market standpoint, um, ESPN, I'm just expected to, to write, about MLS, usually just work with the editors there it's about a, a story idea or if they'll say, hey, can you write about this Austin MLS thing? You know, I'll do that or about, you know, the the transfer, the transfer window, then I'll do that. And then with CONCACAF, um, kind of I have the liberty to, to write about some stuff in CONCACAF, but a lot of the CONCACAF stories are just news bits, you know, match reports or post-game reaction so I'd say that's the the large majority of it. But um, any interview that I want to do, like, you know, interviewing stuff for the CONCACAF Nations League. So interviewing the coach. I got I talked to the coach of Guadeloupe yesterday, Jocelyn Angloma, who won the Champions League with Olympic Marseille in 1993 and then went to two Champions League finals with Valencia. Like, that was pretty badass. And so, you know, I talked to him yesterday and that was all on my own doing. So that was um, – those are the things – you know, when I when I have the ability to kind of create my own uh, uh, plan, writing plan, and it's um, I, I it's empowering, and, and I'm lucky enough to, to have a chance to, to do that with most of my work. I want to I want to tell you my my observation and the way that I <laughs> the way that I was thinking when you were talking. You don't have to respond to it at all if, if you feel like you don't you don't want to. But you were talking about what you do for Marca and and how you kind of have the freedom to do this and do that. And then I noticed a, a, a change in your, in, in your tone of voice when you, when you mentioned the assignments from, from ESPN FC about like covering some of the major league soccer stuff. That was just an observation. I don't know if it's. <laughs> no, no, I certainly, I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy that work. It's, it's, and you know, the ESPN, like I, I, I know those guys. I know the editors there from my time being an editor there at ESPN. So it's something that I, I definitely enjoy. I don't know what it is, but the, the Marca stuff, you know, being able to write for Marca, maybe it's just because I have such a, a personal connection with Marca when I studied there. I mean, I, I read that newspaper every single day. And the fact that, you know, for coming up on seven years, I've been able to contribute to that newspaper, to that publication. It's, it's still kind of amazing to me when, um, I see my name on a byline on, on their website or, or even the few times when I do make the newspaper and it happens every so often. Um, but when that, it, it's still such a thrill for me that I've been, that I've managed to accomplish that. So I guess, um, you know, as the Spanish would say, there's a, you know, there's cariño there between, you know, myself and, and Marca and the fact that, uh, you know, and, and that they do give me that liberty and to, to write what I want about what, write what I want to write about and, um, and they, and they seem happy. I, every once in a while I'll go to Madrid and I'll visit and it's just kind of one of those like, okay, guys, we good. Everybody happy. Okay, good. <laughs> another, another thing that I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about, especially, well, let me see how I can frame this. 
when you when you write for Marca, you're writing for a, a certain audience, mm-hmm. and there's also other publications that write for other audiences. And so there's in I, I don't know the right way to say it, but there's a competition of ideas and there's a competition of headlines when it comes to you know span, covering covering Spanish football, covering global football, mm-hmm. and, and and that competition of ideas doesn't really exist here in, in American soccer media American soccer writing it's really only you're really only getting like one one side or one one aspect of the of the American game so I'd be curious to, to hear how you are able to handle that or how, how you deal with that or, or if it's even a real thing or, or what people you know don't know about that or I, I don't know I guess it's just a topic I wanted to, to bring up with you yeah that's interesting like yeah when I when I'm writing it's almost like it almost depends you know, for the audience. It's like, okay, who's, and you have to think about like, okay, who might be interested in, in this? Um, you know, for example, if I'm interviewing a, a player, like a Spanish player, I know that there's going to be, you know, for example, I interviewed uh, John Erise from the Vancouver Whitecaps. Well, he left Alba, Albacete, the second division team in Spain. He left them over the winter transfer window. And it's a little bit of a controversial uh, departure. And when I was interviewing him, I knew that you know my the, the focus of the story was going to be more on Albacete, even though I'd gone through Vancouver to get the interview. I knew that the sticking point for the audience was going to be his time at Albacete and what he thinks. And, and, and then so that's how that was framed. Um, so I, I guess you could say I kind of wrote more toward that audience. Um, it just depends, you know, I think it just depends on, on, on who you're talking to. And sometimes interviews take a turn that you, you don't expect. Like I was, I was speaking to Dario Conca who plays for the Austin bold here in the USL. And I got a chance to sit down with him for about 30 minutes here in Austin. And I thought it was going to, you know, I thought the story was going to be about, you know, how he was one of the most expensive players in the world and what's he doing here in Austin. And then instead it turned into, he just basically talked about his, his love for his boyhood team in Argentina, Tigre. And that's what became the story. And it was something I didn't, I was not expecting. Um, so I guess, I guess what uh, the point being that whenever the, the subject where maybe like the, the most passion you get out of the, the interview subject, you know, the person where, you know, where they, they seem to, to give more of themselves during the interview. That's what I try to, um, that's what I try to, to convey. That's what I try to highlight when I'm writing the piece It's like, what was the most, where did I get the most passion or what, what was the most important thing to them when I was speaking to them? And uh, that's what usually ends up being the piece. That's how I, at least I try to approach it. I'm going to, I'm going to grill you here for, for a second. Cause I want to, mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about the, the difference between like what Marca is in Madrid versus mm-hmm. what the, what the papers write in Barcelona, because mm-hmm. if, if I'm not mistaken, you know, the, you know, the game happens on the field and then, and then another game starts immediately <laughs> after the whistle blows in, in, in the way that the people cover the game. And, and, and so, it's something that I, I don't think American fans 
American soccer fans and, and major league soccer fans, maybe specifically aren't accustomed to, because, you know, you're, you're really just accustomed to getting a, a game recap and, and the scores and, and maybe, you know, a little bit about the yellow or red cards, but in, in Spain, that's not, that's not what you get. Like you get a completely, you know, two, sometimes completely two different s- stories about the way they, how the game played out. So can you maybe explain to people like what, what the, you know, the differences between some of the papers there and how the game's covered? Oh yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, there is a stark contrast between, uh, the Madrid papers and the Barcelona papers. Basically the, the, the big papers in Madrid are, are Marca, the, the, the outlet I write for, uh, Diario As, AS, As is, is another big newspaper there. And those are, shall we say, very pro Madrid, Real Madrid, um, you know, let's go Madrid as well, but Real Madrid is, the is the, is the, really the, the main focus and, and, um, it's pretty much what ends up on the cover every single day on, on Marca is, is something Real Madrid related. In Barcelona, you have the two big papers. You have Sport and El Mundo Deportivo. So what's really probably the most interesting is after if Real Madrid, if it's a Clasico and Real Madrid and Barca have played and they tie or they draw it can be, you know, for if for Madrid, it might be like a, a huge win. Like Madrid was better with 10 men and, and got a one, one draw or Barcelona, you know, took, you know, the, the Barcelona papers might say, Oh, you know, Barcelona took care of business on their way to the title professional job. And uh, it is, it is very funny to see. It's, 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 it's amusing to see the, the differences between the, the two papers. And then there are the, the smaller regional paper, regional papers like uh, Valencia that has, um, uh, super deporte so you know they all have their own appropriate angles but it's really the the how the the madrid, the madrid and the barcelona papers really i mean there's dueling aspects to it you know how one paper might say that was a clear red and the others other says no no that was a yellow i mean they, they it, it goes down to that level where everything is, is scrutinized you know maybe one player ignored the other in the tunnel before the game and how it was insulting and then uh, you know, it, it, it's all, you know, they can, you can get like at least 12 to 15 pieces of content from, uh, from a Classico in, in every single one of those, uh, publications. It's, it's pretty amazing. And another thing I've noticed about the way that the game is covered in, in Spain and, and, and the way that I read it is I, I'll copy paste something into Google translate. Um, so I don't know how accurate those translations are, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, and and I've noticed too that a lot of a lot of publications now are are you know they're actually translating offering English um, translations on their own websites, which is pretty cool. Um, yes. But but one thing I've noticed is that you know they're they are absolutely not afraid to roast their own. So like if mm-hmm. if if Madrid just you know shit the bed, they are not afraid to to make that the headline. Like if you know if there was clear opportunities that Madrid should have should have capitalized on and they don't like okay like that is the headline and and that is you know another thing that i wish we had here it's it seems like in american soccer culture you know somebody can just completely bomb and we're like looking for excuses for it like we're like okay how can we spin this in our favor like oh well the attendance was really good or you know uh oh let's blame it on the surface of the pitch or something like oh god oh god yeah but yeah but in in madrid or in barcelona you know if they don't perform 
the person that's you know that has the pen in their hand is is gonna you know is gonna roast them so uh, yeah i guess that's yeah no that's that's true yeah no that's absolutely true i mean if uh, you know when salati you know salati got his tactics wrong uh yeah real would come after him or when lopetegui you know when he was you know kind of lost the the dressing room and i mean they were um you know, they will, they will take, they will take coaches to task. And, you know, I see the same thing down in Argentina, like Diario Ole. I mean, Barascaloto got just absolutely hammered after the, the Super Clásico, the Copa Libertadores Super Clásico final, um, you know, with, for, and he's still getting criticized to this day. I was listening to Argentine radio, was it two nights ago? I was listening to um, the Boca game on Radio La Red in Argentina and, I mean, the commentators are still going on wondering how Barascaloto left Maro Zarate on the bench in, in Madrid in that in that game against River. I mean, still here we are, what three months later, and it's still being talked about. So, yeah, there, there, there's, there's no fear in in criticizing, um, and and that's you know again, that's there's that accountability that that teams and, and coaches and players have over there. A note that I wrote down when you were talking earlier. Um was you know how that how that impacts coffee shop like talk or, or you know talk at the bar mm-hmm. and, and things like that so like you know that the headlines fuel the conversations that that fans and readers ultimately have after that and and it makes me think about what you had mentioned earlier in the conversation about like you didn't have anybody during college to to have those conversations with so it's like you'd be watching a game on on tv and then the guys are kind of making fun of you like all right, dude, like let's put on a real sport or whatever. I can't remember exactly what you said. Um, but it's like you, you, you were kind of starved of that, of that coffee shop talk. And, and yeah. that's something that is so important to soccer culture all around the world that again, it's just something that we don't really have. Maybe Twitter is, is, is taking, is, is taking, um, or is replacing that in some ways. Like people are able to connect with, with other soccer fans and, and have mm-hmm. soccer conversations, but it's nothing can replace, you know, sitting down at a, at a coffee shop in the morning and talking about the game the night before. No, that's true. And, and I think maybe the closest thing I have to that is just in a, in a weekly pickup game that I, that I play. And, and most of the guys are, they're either uh, South American or, or from um, a lot of parts of Eastern Europe. So for whatever reason, we have like four Bosnians who, who play in this pickup game with us. <laughs> but, um, you know, after when we get done playing, you know, we'll sit around, we'll drink beers. And and then that's where you can really, you know, you get to you get to talk and you get like all these different arguments as, to, you know, everything from Messi v. Ronaldo to the different tournaments and, you know, and then talk about us soccer and then and i'm always interested to hear you know the perspective of, of some of you know a guy a friend of mine who's from azerbaijan and, and what you know his take is on on the american soccer landscape and and whether he's going to support the new mls team in austin or not and that's you know out, but i think you're right i think twitter is um you know the twitter is almost kind of like that virtual bar that virtual uh corner pub for for some people to to talk and and, um, and and to have to have that culture, to have that experience of, of being able to talk about the game. I joked last night. I, I tweeted something out like Twitter should bring back the AOL style chat rooms, and, yeah. and you know yeah. you can enter your themed chat room. Like all right, it, like this this chat room is all gonna you know gonna be talking about Boca or this this is gonna be all about Austin Bold or something like that. Like I think that would be kind of kind of fun, but 
as soon as I sent the tweet and somebody responded to it, I was like, oh, okay, now I understand why this would be completely out of hand. So, <laughs> <laughs> or how about how about pro rel? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that, and that that's what I that's what I hashtag too. In in the that's what I was thinking of. Like, oh, that'd be really cool to to have that. And then I started thinking, you know, I I took it a different direction, and I said, oh, you know, what about just having like an online style debate? You know, and getting two thought leaders, uh, you know, in a chat room type setting where they can just respond to each other's with maybe a moderator and people can watch a debate happen online because people are, for whatever reason, are so afraid to debate, um, you know, on, on camera or in, in person. Uh, that was uh-huh. the, the, the evidence for that is the U.S. soccer um, presidential race that, that happened um, not too long ago, like, you know, they, they opted to not debate at all. I, I was like, yeah. what the f- like, what the fuck? Like, how can you be, be running for, for, you know, the highest position in, in, in soccer in this country and not want to, you know, have your ideas compete against somebody else's? Like wh- yeah, Exactly. And that was, you know, I, I have a lot of respect and admiration for, for Eric Winalda, you know, Hope Solo, like, you know, candidates who are really striving for change and, and who I wanted to see, you know, like, but you know, to, 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 to challenge the ideas of the, of the, of the establishment. And it's a, it's a shame that, that we didn't see it because it would have been, that would have been great. That would have been, I think, eye opening perhaps for a lot of people. I, and I think that, you know, for the mainstream media guys, um, I think they, they missed, they missed the, the hint that that would have been gold. That was, that was, you know, those would have been gold mines for content. And, oh yeah, and, and they didn't. Oh yeah, no, nobody really pushed them in that direction to encourage it, or even just you know to set it up. You know, hey, like we're you know I'm Grant Wall, and and I'm going to moderate uh, the debate, and and I'm going to set it up, and whoever shows up shows up and gets to gets to participate. Like that's a missed opportunity, in my opinion. So, I, I absolutely agree. I wish you could have done it. You could have you could have been the guy to, to have done it because I it would have been. Um, but I, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, maybe for a future election that can happen because that's a fantastic idea. Um, and to, to, yeah. So, so people can, people know they at least have a shot, you know, with these, all these presidential debates are going to come up and I mean, they draw big ratings. I mean, people pay attention to stuff like that. So why not? And there's no reason why us soccer, why we shouldn't do the same for, for us soccer. Yeah. Somebody, somebody just pitched the idea in in a DM to me, like, dude, have you ever thought about having a debate on your podcast? I'm like, well, yeah, I've, I've thought about it and I've actually reached out to a couple of different people and if they, to see if they wanted to. And people are so hesitant, man. They're so hesitant to participate. And I think it has something to do. Well, actually I'm 99% sure it has something to do with, they don't want to say the wrong thing and, and be blacklisted. You know, if they, mm-hmm. if they, if they, if they, say something wrong or against the, you know, somebody that has power, then all of a sudden they lose access to, to that realm of, of the soccer ecosystem here. And, and that seems to be why people don't speak up and, it, and, and it, people might get mad at me for saying this, but I feel like that's a, a big reason why women's soccer is, is, uh, is the way that it is because the women are, for whatever reason can't speak up or, or don't want to speak up. And, you know, they're, they're so happy and rightfully so to have a place to play, um, that, that they, they just don't want that to go away and they don't want to ruin it for anybody else. But I just, I, I have heard so many horror stories off the record about, you know, the way that the women 
um, professional players are treated and what they're oh like, yeah how how they're talked to how they're dealt with by the administration and it's like well okay yeah like let's let, let's talk about it come on my podcast and talk about it like I can't I can't and you did it you were able to do that with hope I mean that was that was extremely powerful like hearing you know her her testimony and about you know, her experiences and how, when, you know, we, she first came into the national team setup and it was, you know, happy to be there. And then after a while it was like, wait a minute, what's going on here. And, and then for her to, well, I mean, when she was talking to you, like she was like almost shaking, right. You know, soon Neil Galati was on her right. And, 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 you know, just, you know, uh, bearing the, you know, like staring at her, staring her down. And while, but she, you know, bravely stood up and, and talked about, you know, the, you know, the treatment that she'd received and, and like why she wanted to change that for as president of us soccer. And that was, I mean, that was, that was fantastic content. That was such a good listen. And that's, that's, you know, for our women who, who deserve that, that equal, that fair treatment. Um, you know, those are the, those are the voices. That's the message that needs to come out. Yeah. I talked about it with, um, Kira McCormick, who's, um, uh, Canadian, Irish, I can't remember all of her, her other nationalities, um, but yeah. So she uh, she was was telling me a little bit about um, oh, why, why can't I remember where she's from? The Norwegian player Ada, um, man, I'm blanking completely. Swedish, maybe I don't, I can't remember. It's terrible that I can't remember that. But the the, the chick that's going to sit out the the World Cup as as kind uh-huh. of like a protest. And, okay, and, and so that that prompted me to to ask or, or or think about you know what makes somebody that untouchable that they could you know do or say whatever they want and they're not afraid of the repercussions and and I think that's a position that Hope has has been able to um, to get herself into is that she is for lack of a better term, she's kind of untouchable. She's retired. She's, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's a, a world cup champion, Olympic champion. You know, she, she has, uh, she, she has reached the pinnacle, uh, of, of the sport. And, and so for, yeah, for lack of a better term, she's untouchable. She can do or say whatever she wants and she doesn't rely on, um, the, the, the other people anymore where other, you know, current players, players that are on the national team, even though they are filing, they, they filed the lawsuit, like this is all amazing stuff, but you don't hear people, you don't hear them talking about it, which is unfortunate. And they probably can't because of the lawsuit. So it's like they filed a lawsuit, but now they've also, they've also silenced themselves in a way because they can't Mm -hmm. say anything. And that, that really, really bums me out, but it opens the door for other people that, you know, there's only 28 names in that, in that lawsuit. So it's like okay, there's more than 28 players in the league. This is an opportunity for all those other girls to, to uh, women, sorry, to to stand up and, and and speak out about like what's happening because these other people are 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 going you know full speed ahead with uh, with this other angle, which is important too. And people are probably going to hate that I'm you know talking about women's soccer in, in this way, but um, but I just I think it's a conversation that we need to have. Yeah, and I I, I mean I I applaud the women's national team for doing what they're doing, because not only are they trying to affect change in this country for future women's footballers, I mean, the repercussions of this are, are, are global. I was watching a video of, I think it was about maybe six or seven women from the, the Colombian women's national team and just how, how the, the U S women's national team lawsuit really is motivating them it's inspiring them they are feeling emboldened because here's the number one team in the world the reigning world champion and they're 
you know, they're saying, hey, we deserve this equal treatment. So it's this the ripples of this thing are not just felt within our borders. I mean, this is a global thing. And I think that's probably the coolest thing of all is that you're going to see women's footballers from all over the world are going to take heart and be strengthened by what our women's national team is doing. And, and that's a hell of a legacy. And, and, and I think, you know, for the long-term growth and future of, of women's soccer, I think this could be such a, a powerful, this could be really the catalyst for, for, for true change and to, to see, you know, not just the, the footballers in this country, but women's footballers all over the, all over the world, you know, that they start to, to receive the treatment that they deserve. Women's football in, in Spanish-speaking countries is on a rapid ascent. And, yes. And I'm curious if that, you know, it, how, how that is changing the way that you are picking stories or covering stories, and maybe not necessarily you, but, you know, the way that publications are, are covering, you know, women's football because it's like, you know, sellout stadiums and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just the, the – what did I see the other day? Um it was a story about you know women's football teams being being um, or playing their games in the in the men's first team stadiums for like the first time, and and that was you know a huge deal, and and so yeah, I guess I'm just curious you know how how these stories are are being covered by by these publications. I don't even know. See, this is why I said I'm terrible at asking questions. I start talking and I did forget what I wanted to ask. <laughs> well, I think. Um... You know, what I've noticed with Marca, like I know that Marca has a, a person devoted to women's football. So he'll be traveling to the Women's World Cup this summer. He he covers the Spanish women's team pretty extensively, the women's league there. And, and you know, Athletic Bilbao, I think they had like, you know, they'll fill San Mames for a women's game, which is which is awesome. And so uh, you see the the growth there and, and, the, and there's more coverage about that. You know, gosh, Mexico. I mean, outlets like Medio Tiempo, uh, you know, Record, you know, all these online outlets. You see, they they also, you know, they cover they cover the the Liga MX Femenil, um, and you see, you know, they they get really good crowds down there in Mexico, and it's like, holy cow, that's that's awesome. And the the women in Argentina, like I think it was the Boca women's team playing in the Bombonera for like the first time. That's what it was. Yep, that's what I saw the other yeah. day. I mean, and just imagine a women's Boca River in the Bombonera or the Monumental. I mean, that's, you know, it, it's Boca River. It, it doesn't matter if it's men's or women's. It's Boca River, and it's going to, it's going to, uh, it's going to drive a lot of people, I think, to the stadium. And so I think, I, I think in the last couple of years, you have seen, uh, you know, outlets and really start to devote more attention to, to the women's game and in and, and Latin and Spanish speaking countries. And, and I mean, 10 years ago, I mean, it was not even close, but you are seeing more of that. And, um, and, and uh, it, it really pleases me. It's nice to, it's nice to see that. And, you know, the more these countries invest money, they're going to get better. And, you know, these are the things that I, I think, you know, eventually the U S women's national team, they're going to find a lot of countries that maybe 10, 20 years ago, they, you know, you, they would never would even thought would have been a rival. And now, you know, they could, they could be on par with at, at some point here soon. Yeah. It's, um, that, that rapid ascent or that rapid acceleration in coverage of the sport is only going to fuel, um, positive results on the field. 
in mm-hmm. my opinion that's that that's what that's my uh my look into the future is that 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 rapid acceleration on the field and off the field is just going to continue so uh, it's yeah. it's going to be interesting to watch how things play out here in the next in the next few years next decade especially yeah. no doubt well uh i've had you for an hour i need to ask you my my world famous question the the, the 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 ultimate question this is it yeah this is it so uh what do what do people need to know i think for me the the biggest thing is it's time to grow up and what i mean by that is for soccer in this country our league is what 24 years old and when you're 24 you should be out of the house not living off your parents you should be be able to support your own. You should be a grown up. You should have your big boy pants on. And I think for soccer in the, in the U S it's time to, it's time to grow up. It's time to, to join the rest of the world in the world's game and have an open system, be able to, to let local clubs grow, nurture themselves and, and be part of, of the ecosystem of soccer in this country and open it up to, to all. And so, um, that for me is, that's what people need to know. It's time, it's time to grow up. And that's, that's the message when I'm on the sideline watching my 10 year old daughter play and, and inevitably a conversation turns to, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I write about soccer. And, and then they'll ask, well, why is it that we can't, why this country isn't very good? It's like, well, let me explain that, you know, something to you. It requires systematic change. Okay. It's not going to happen just overnight. And, you know, these are the, these are the conversations. I don't know if, if whoever I talk to, maybe one day they become a prominent person and, and within us soccer, you never know, but us soccer needs to, I think it's time to grow up. It's time to realize that, um, you know, we should be mature enough to handle being another, you know, uh, another world soccer nation, a country that, that, that does how that, that, that functions in the way other countries function. And there's no reason why we can't, you know, the, the infancy of being owned by NFL owners. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's a long time ago. It's, it's time to, um, it's time to grow up and it's time for us soccer to, uh, to, to, to open things up and to, to be the meritocracy it should be and to be, and to embrace America's, you know, uh, capitalistic ideals, because there's nothing more capitalistic than having an open system. Okay. I, I was trying to figure out a way I could make a joke about, you know, giving you a standing ovation. Cause, <laughs> cause that's a damn good answer, but I couldn't come up with one quick enough, but that's, that's a, an amazing answer, man. I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about it. And I'm like, what, how am I going to answer the big question at, at the very end? <laughs> and I was sitting there just, you know, looking at, you know, looking at my daughter and, and, and everything. And, and then it's like, yeah, it's just, it's time, you know, as I see her grow up, you know, I think about her, she's 10 years old. What was MLS at age 10? Well, you know, it was kind of going through puberty. It was going through the Beckham puberty and, and, but, but it's a long ways away from that now. It's, it's, it's far past that. And, and it's time to, uh, it's time to be an adult. Absolutely. Uh, where can people, where can people connect with you and where can people find your work? Yeah, so uh, people can find me on Twitter at Archbell, A-R-C-H-B-E-L-L. And uh, I'm swimming around the uh, 
if somebody goes to Marca, they can go to the uh, like the Marca America page if they want to read anything in Spanish. Um, ESPN FC, I'll have I usually do like an MLS what to watch for. So I, that usually goes up on Fridays. And then um, and then on CONCACAF.com, my byline is not on there, but rest assured that uh, a lot of the content that you see on that website is, uh, is coming from my fingertips. So um, that's those are all the, the different types of places where I can be found. Very cool, man. Well, I, I appreciate you making time for me, and um, I, I appreciate the work that you do and the way that you cover the sport. I think it's unique, and, and I, I just wish you all the – uh, the the best of luck and 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 hope that uh, you're able to keep doing this for for many 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 years to come. Well, John, I appreciate it. The same to you. Don't uh, you just you keep rocking out the podcasts and they're and they're all great and they're all different and, and unique as well. And uh, you know, it's just keep chopping wood, right? Keep chopping wood, and uh, maybe that tree will eventually come down. That's right. That's that's the goal. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.